Good morning, Accra. Good afternoon, Basra. And good evening, Ulaanbaatar. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss the Nigerian election and China's peace plan for the war in Ukraine. It's all coming up. Morning, John. How are you? I'm doing well, Ethan. How are you? Had a, uh, a weekend away in, in the cold, so I'm feeling reinvigorated. Oh, that's great. You look you look wonderful. I, I wish uh, our, our <laughs> listeners could, could see you on the other side of my screen. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the Nigerian presidential election took place on Saturday. This is one of the most highly anticipated elections of the year, at least uh, you know for those unfortunate souls among us who look forward to elections with childlike wonder and fascination. Uh, so who's running? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right to focus on this election with uh, childlike wonder. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, Nigeria is, you know, it's the biggest country in, in Africa by population. Um, I, I didn't realize it had over 200 million people, which is twice as many as the next closest country in Africa. It's a pretty giant country, uh, which obviously means that it has the, the continent's largest economy too. Um, so, you know, it's an important election and, and experts said that this election was the most open and closely contested since the country returned to democracy in, uh, 1999. Uh, there's a lot of civic activism surrounding the election and young folks seemed pretty excited about the vote. Um, it, it sort of felt a bit like a, you know, a, you know, not, not a festival, obviously, but just like a very important momentous occasion. Um, the candidates were, uh, you know, there were two candidates from the main two parties in Nigeria that were running to replace uh, President Muhammadu Buhari, who's been in power since 2015. Um, and he's kind of struggled to manage a couple of crises uh, late on in his tenure, and he's ended up uh, pretty unpopular uh, by the end of this term. And it was a very closely contested election, like I said. So, you know, as I said, it had the two major parties with their candidates. But for, for I think, the first time since, since 1999, there was a third-party candidate named Peter Obi who created a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of noise and was um, really quite popular in the polls. So and I think that was quite surprising. All right. And uh, who won? Don't have a winner yet. These things take time. Um, on, the, on the more serious note, there were sort of isolated reports of a bit of violence um, around the country, and there were several areas that had to postpone their vote uh, to Sunday. The election was obviously on Saturday. So don't have a winner yet because I think these, you know, there's counting that goes on. And I, I think generally in, in Nigeria, elections take a couple of days to return to return the results. Um, you know, on the, on the encouraging side, turnout seems to have been pretty high. Um, and you know, that, that's a good thing. People were very excited about getting the ability, uh, having the chance to cast their vote. Um, there didn't seem to be like a lot of substantive differences between the candidates. Uh, you know, both of the, the, the two main parties put up candidates in their seventies, um, and they both had strong support in the Muslim North, uh, of Nigeria. Uh, so they, they didn't have a lot to distinguish them. Early tallies seem to suggest that uh, Bola Ahmed Tinubu um, of the ruling party, uh, the All Progressives Congress party, um, it seems like he's leading. I was kind of stunned by this, but he camp- campaigned under the slogan, it's my turn. I, I believe him. Yeah, I, I don't know. Politics in Nigeria seem to be different because I'm not sure how well that would play in, in other places. But uh, anyway, he seems to be leading. You know, I think uh, there's a couple of other interesting things too. There seems to be an unofficial rule in Nigerian politics that the presidency should sort of shift between Christians and Muslims as, 
you know, a kind of concession to religious, uh, you know, peace, I guess. Um, but Peter Obi was the only candidate who was Christian in the election. So and Bu- Buhari here is, is Muslim, right? E- exactly. So you're going to have me going from a Muslim president, most likely to another Muslim president. So, you know, it's hard to draw too many conclusions from that. But it- it's interesting just to note that there was that kind of unofficial rule that 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 should have switched it to a Christian this time, I guess. We'll have a winner in, in a couple of days, I think. Um, uh, to win, the candidate has to gain the biggest share of the vote across the whole country, um, as well as 25% of the vote in at least 24 of the country's 37 states um, and in the capital, Abuja. Yeah, so there's a, it's, it's a little complex, which, again, I guess explains why it takes a little bit of time to count all the votes and, and declare a winner. Okay, so we, we may have... Uh weeks to go before we know who wins. I mean, I think if, if no candidate gets the required majorities, right, there's a, a runoff uh, that's held in three weeks. So we we may have a long time to go, um, or we might know early this week. But either way, what's going to be at the top of the next president's agenda? Yeah, I think that's a good point to mention. It's, it could be a couple of days or it could be a couple of weeks. So, you know, these these things, uh, I mean, it'll, it'll work itself out, but it could be a while. Um, in terms of when we do finally know about that, who the president is, um, top of his agenda, the economy, right? Like I think that's the that's the biggest thing in Nigeria um, on on the minds of voters. It's Nigeria has gone through two recessions in five years. Um, it's gotten you know soaring inflation, a pretty bad poverty problem. Um, it's got sixty percent of its population are considered poor, despite having you know really an abundance of natural resources. So there's this sense that. Uh, I think that Nigeria is underperforming as a country economically, um, you know, and, and understandably those those issues make people fairly uncertain about Nigeria's future. I, I was watching a, a couple of reports of, from folks who just voted in the election saying that they were voting for their child's future. They wanted a, a, a better Nigeria for the next generation. Um, and, you know, a World Bank report said that more than half of young Nigerians want to move out of the country. So there's clearly there's clearly a problem there um, in the minds of at least some Nigerians, right? Apart from that, I think there are a couple of other issues around sort of the bureaucratic management of the country. Uh, for example, Nigeria completely stuffed up its uh, introduction of new currency notes a while ago, which led to a run on the banks and protests in recent weeks. So uh, I think there's a sense that they need a little bit more competency in, within the government as well. Um, and then obviously there's this ongoing problem in that part of the world, but particularly in Nigeria, uh, about Boko Haram, which is the sort of terrorist organization that is, you know, I would say, infamous for kidnapping groups of children and school children and whatnot in, in the country, in the north of the country. So security is always on the minds of, of, of Nigerian voters, I think. Today's show is sponsored by Roka. We really like newsletters and we've got another recommendation that you've got to check out. The Current by Roka News. Here's what we like about it. It was founded by people who don't like the negative, partisan, and alarmist style of news. It favors facts over opinions. And it tells you what you need to know for the day so you can hold your own at happy hour. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. 
All right, welcome back. Next up, we are back to the war in Ukraine where another great power is wading into the diplomatic waters. So, John, what's the story here? Yeah, it feels like we're talking about Ukraine every day, doesn't it, Ethan? Um, but this is an important one. Uh, last Friday, China released a 12-point peace plan uh, to mark the first anniversary of the invasion. But it's uh, also the first time that China's kind of really publicly put in writing where they stand on the war. Um, you know, it does the things that everyone expected it to do, call for an end to hostilities, mutual respect for sovereignty, uh, the facilitation of exporting grain from Ukraine, these kinds of things. Um, but it also called on the West to end sanctions against Russia and to abandon the Cold War mentality, which will be a familiar phrase to, to folks who watch China. Um, I think the most notable thing that came out of it was that it called for the resumption of peace talks, uh, which have been stalled since you know, March when they kind of nominally got off the ground. John, why, why is that so important? I mean, lots of sides are calling for, for peace talks, Americans, the Europeans. What makes this call from China any different? Well, first and foremost, China just has a lot of influence in Russia, right? Uh, China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, was in Moscow last week with meeting with Putin, trying to prepare the way for potential Xi Jinping visit to, to Moscow uh, later in the year. Certainly the Russians are hoping that President Xi Jinping will visit Moscow. Uh, that's, I think, to be seen. Um, and, you know, China's been by far Russia's closest or closest and most powerful ally um, since the since the war began. It's never explicitly supported Russia's war effort, of course, um, but it, it's sort of been seen as kind of, uh, you know, a confidant for Russia and hasn't explicitly rebuked it, which is, which is important. Um, it's also buying, China's buying lots of Russian oil. Uh, all the oil it can't sell to Europe now is being bought by by China, so that's important. Um, and so there's this sense that if China went to Russia and said, "Hey, do X, Y, Z, stop this war. We've had enough." Blah 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 blah. Then Russia would take that very seriously and probably wouldn't have much of a choice but to do what China said, or you know, some of what it said. So so that's why it's important. And does this peace plan seem like you know that that firm warning that you're mentioning, or will this be enough to end the war? Is what I'm is what I'm asking. Uh, no, it will not be. I I don't want to beat around the bush. Uh, the plan is you know fairly high level, um, pretty short on specifics. Um, it calls for things that China always calls for in the vague sense, but it doesn't really address any of the big issues. You know, is Crimea Russian territory or Ukrainian territory? Um, what about Luhansk and Donetsk? Uh, you know, it doesn't deal with these issues that are the other key issues that will need to be resolved for any peace process. Um, you know, and I don't think they, they were trying to answer those questions, but it really sort of doesn't it's not a, I don't think it's a particularly serious document at this point. Um, I think lots of Western, Western officials agree with that position too, or at least they've, they've said they, had, they do over the weekend. There was a quote from a former US Defense Department official who said that uh, Beijing's statement is not a plan, but a statement of anodyne principles that China itself does not follow, <laughs> such as opposition to economic coercion in cases of political differences. So, you know, that, I, I, I don't know that that's the official government position, but it's certainly a that gives a sense of how um, a lot of folks are viewing this uh, this peace plan from China. Um, but, you know, to be fair, a lot of that criticism could be because um, the West is anxious that if China is able to take over the peace process, then the West might be sidelined from that process uh, and not have a say in how it goes. So, you know, you can never be sure. So it sounds like Russia might certainly be interested in hearing China out. Uh, how about Ukraine? Ukraine expressed cautious optimism in some 
areas. Um, the second in command of the Ukrainian embassy in Beijing called it a good sign that China wants to be involved in the in the global efforts to stop the war in Ukraine. Uh, so that's positive, but I don't think there's a lot of optimism, you know, really on the Ukrainian side. Um, the war needs to stop it one way or another, and this isn't the exact peace plan that will do it, but I think it's encouraging that China's thinking about releasing these kinds of documents because, as we said, Russia listens to China and it's the only one it probably does listen to. Um, and it's certainly better that China is using the words peace plan and, you know, putting these documents out than it's better than it doing that than not doing it. So you've got to take the wins when you can get it on stories like this, to be honest. You always do. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Talk to you soon. Cheers, Ethan. Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. The U.S. has approved the extradition of former Peruvian President Alejandro Toledo, who is set to stand trial in Peru on corruption charges. Toledo served as president between 2001 and 2006 and stands accused of accepting millions of dollars in bribes from a Brazilian construction company. The country of Oman established full diplomatic ties with the Holy See on Thursday as part of Pope Francis's efforts to build deeper interreligious ties. The Vatican now holds diplomatic relations with all countries on the Arabian Peninsula, except Saudi Arabia. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, the war in Ukraine is certainly no laughing matter. But I cannot help but keep laughing at a horribly timed tweet from February 23rd of last year. You probably know what happened the next day from Grammy Award winning artist The Weeknd. You'll have to check out the International Intrigue newsletter to see what he said. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Wednesday. Wednesday.